That's a growler. Welcome to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast, one tea-sipping minute at a time. I'm Bobby. And I'm Janae. We are your hosts, and today is Friday. Yay, you made it. You made it through another week, and we are so glad that you're here with us again to celebrate this movie, uh, because we love it, and you probably love it too if you're listening. (laughs) Today we're talking about Minute 15, which starts off with Lumiere reiterating that Maurice is soaked to the bone and ends with... Maurice's first look at the beast. Ah, well, good old Lumiere. He's just so hospitable, isn't he? He welcomes Maurice right in and gets him in and gets him warmed up by the fire. And poor Cogsworth, he just he just can't control Lumiere at all. <laughs> I mean, you get the I get the impression that Cogsworth is supposed to be the one in charge, but really, he can't control anything that's going on in regards to Lumiere. So that's a pretty funny dynamic going on right here and throughout the movie to come. Yeah, I think in the commentary, they were talking about how Cogsworth is supposed to be like the head of household Mm -hmm. and Lumiere's the maitre d'. And they're like, we don't really know what that means. That's just like the only French word we knew. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously? What is a yeah. maitre d'? I was just about to ask you that. Um, I believe... I don't know. Let's ask Google. Well, <laughs> I thought a maitre d' was like what the What per- is a maitre d'? The person in a restaurant who oversees the waitpersons and busboys and who typically handles reservations. It says the manager of a hotel as well. So it's kind of oh, like the manager God. of <laughs> hospitality. That's so- so wait, how say? is the maitre d' different from the head of household? I guess maybe the maitre d' is the French version of the head of household, which is an English thing? That's probably very true, but I kind of just, in my own little mind, like to change the definition or make up my own. <laughs> so Good in my idea. mind, Cogsworth is like the manager. So he makes sure things are where they're supposed to be, that people are doing their jobs, and Lumiere as a maitre d', whatever that means, is more like the entertainer, and he welcomes the guests and takes care of their comfort. Um, So he's kind of the face and the personality of running the household and welcoming people. And Cogsworth is the business side of making sure things get where they need to be and that you have all the ingredients and supplies that you need, that kind of stuff. Well, their personalities are definitely well suited to those jobs. So that makes sense. Um, so they end up in this room where it's like the drawing room, I guess. And there's this huge chair that's cool. I love wing-backed chairs, by the way. They're awesome. They're so comfy. And did you want to talk about any of the furniture or the um, dressings of this room at all? I do. I actually I had a note before we get into the room that we kind of get the first little silhouette of the beast and he's always watching Mm. he's he's definitely a a beast you know watching over his territory and seeing making sure he knows what's going on 
Um, mm-hmm. So we get some foreboding that this is not going um, underneath his radar. And then as they're going into the room, Cogsworth, you know, he falls down the stairs trying to stop them from going in there. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> and he's got these pieces, you know, gears and bolts and whatever flying all over the place that, you know, probably wouldn't fit in any way into his clockiness. You know, I don't know where they came from. There's a spring in there. So Maybe that's why they're falling out. They're not supposed to be there. Every time he hits the another stair, something else pops off. It's hilarious. I just think it's funny he doesn't need them because he doesn't go collect them and put them back where they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's this part is is working into into my larger theory for for how the curse and castle work. Um, but but it's not quite there yet. So to be unveiled at a future podcast. Okay. <laughs> but but this is definitely going to be part of it and uh hopefully it'll it'll work into the explanation but onto the furniture and the the decorations for the room i did love the chair i put in a note that i love that chair it's very ornate and decorative and i probably wouldn't have one but i really like how it looks <laughs> they're super comfortable i loved when i was a kid i would just sit and read in them put your legs over one side and you rest your head in the nook of the wing on the other side it's perfect <laughs> highly recommend it if you're a book reader try it out so i tried to i tried to get a good look at the pictures that are in the background and i realized that they change like there are pictures on i think all of the walls and so i'd see them in one shot and then there'd be a better shot of them later on but the picture you know the the picture that they drew in there would change to be a different picture what was that just shoddy work <laughs> I, I, I don't think so because it's not like they are like poorly done you know paintings that the the artists put in on the walls i think they just kind of mixed it up and wanted to to do different ones and so i i'm really curious to do a little more research and see if these are like actual paintings that the animators put into the movie because looking at the wall by the door we get a glimpse of the door that they came through and there's one where there's like a ship at sea and then there's a very french looking soldier and a lady standing there and then later on where the soldier is there's like a lady in like a tattered dress in that same picture frame later on so there's definitely some picture swapping going on but i wonder if these are based on like actual paintings and the animators just stuck on them in there kind of as mm. animators like to do hiding little things in. So the the other thing I had on the decorations around the room is that there are a couple of places where we see kind of a crest. I guess it's kind of like a bird looking thing, a very like scrawny looking bird with big <laughs> wings and scrawny looking feathers. But it's on a shield where there are a couple swords stuck into it. And uh, there's it's somewhere else in the room where it's got the same crest. And so I'm guessing that's got to be a, a royal crest or a family crest or something for, for the beast's family. So Ooh, we'll cool. see if maybe that'll pop up again later on throughout the throughout the decorations through the castle. Cool. Thanks. I hadn't noticed any of that really, which is <laughs> <laughs> probably unobservant of me. But something that I really loved was this little footrest doggy. It's just so happy and comes in and so excited for a person to play with. And because all of his people that he loved turned into things, you can't really play with things as a dog. And of course, he's not really a dog anymore either himself, which is funny. I didn't realize. I mean, I realized because I've seen this movie a bazillion times, but (laughs) I mean, the curse covered that dog as well as people. That's the only animal that I'm aware of that was changed by the curse into an object. So that's interesting in and of itself. There probably weren't a lot of other animals in the castle to begin with. Well, maybe not in the castle, but on the castle grounds, I would assume. I mean, they probably had tons of horses, mm. um, maybe birds, cats hmm. for mice and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Where are all the animals? I don't know. 
But <laughs> they, I must say, though, they had a really impressive dog trainer because this dog, he's like a dog and he's all excited. But then he just goes and acts like he's supposed to as a footstool. He props Maurice's feet right up underneath him and stands tall and straight and is still. And I'm like, what dog does that? I mean, a person, I can understand them just choosing to act like the object that they are or that they've been turned into. But a dog, I would think, might not be aware that he is now a footrest, so he needs to act like a footrest. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, but I'll have to look into it. And this is definitely towards the end of the movie where we see what kind of a dog he is. But if my memory is not horrible and I'm not just making stuff up, I believe he looks like a hunting hound, which would imply that he did have a lot of training. Um, mm. Not to be a footstool, but that you know discipline was instilled in him from a very young age as a puppy. And they kept him around as a hunting dog. I could just be making that up, though. So that's cool. I'll have to look into that and see if that's at all uh, valid based on the breed of dog that he is, if we can even tell that from later yeah, on. Yeah, we'll have to look that up. Um, Another thing that I loved is how everyone ignores Cogsworth. <laughs> they're all so excited to have a person there that they're just like, eh, we don't care. I mean, Cogsworth is like, I'm in charge here. I'm supposed to be doing this. Don't do that. And then you hear this vroom sound. Yes. And the tea cart mows him down. I thought that was so funny. And then Mrs. Potts is there and she's like, here's a cup of tea. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, my first question with that is, how does she know that that someone's a person there? there? That they need to. Uh -huh. Yeah, she just like shows up. She has a sixth sense to know when people <laughs> need tea. <laughs> I don't know. I love uh, how in this movie, some of it is like so realistic and so authentic, <laughs> and other parts they're just like, whatever. We're just gonna have fun. We're with just it. gonna do what we want and have a race car, you know, coming in. So yeah, I, how does she maneuver the tea cart? Because obviously, I mean, she doesn't have legs. Yeah, I think the, the tea cart is supposed to be an animated object. Oh. So it's moving under its own force. Well, is it its own force? Dun, dun, dun. Teaser. Who um, knows? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in this minute, we meet Mrs. Potts. We meet Chip. And that's a big chip out of chip. Like, when I think of a cup being chipped, it's you usually have like a little piece of porcelain that breaks <laughs> off of the edge. But he, he has like a big chunk missing out of him. So his name should really be like Chunk. <laughs> <laughs> and i would not want to drink from him because if you accidentally cut your mouth there you're gonna slice he, your lips up i'm pretty why i mean he has to live up to his name chip how did he get that chip first of all and why i just i have so many questions about chip we're not gonna get into right now yeah he is a big mystery and we'll try to we'll try to figure out more about chip later because he's pretty pivotal not pivotal in the story, but pivotal in the theory of how this all works. Ooh. I also really like the hat rack. Yes. I wonder I wonder what kind of servant position the hat rack held. He must have been a footman. Or maybe oh, what's it called? The maybe he was the personal valet. Well he doesn't have a face, so Oh. I don't want to crush acts. your theories. Oh, man. <laughs> What? It's definitely not not a uh, Beauty and the Beastly Minute canon that you have to to go with my thing. But if you, if you go by what I'm what I'm going by, then he's an work. animated object because he doesn't so, have a face. Yeah, he's fulfilling his duty, but he's not a person. But he's so much more humanly than like a door that just opens itself or a cart that just drives itself. 
wherever yeah, yeah. Mrs. Pot wants it to go. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it it's it does many things later on that makes me think that particular item that does not have a face might have been a person. Mm, I love his I love his hat though because he like he like swirls off the blanket and swishes it around his from his shoulders onto Maurice with a flare and then he like lifts his top hat and I love that the hat rack is wearing a hat. <sighs> yeah. It's so great. anyway, I definitely like him. I mean, he's he's a pretty prominent. I mean, he's not as prominent as the main characters, but he's in quite a few scenes. Okay, I don't remember him in any other ones, so I'm definitely gonna have to pay more attention to. to I his mean, role. I think he was. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll have to find out. Moving on. I definitely want to talk about Mrs. Potts yes. because, and we mentioned it in an earlier episode when when Carrie was here last week. But it is Angela Lansbury. And both she and I have a huge love for Angela Lansbury. I never really knew who she was at all, besides Beauty and the Beast, you know, hearing her voice. So when Carrie introduced me to uh, Murder, She Wrote, which, if you don't know, is an old, you know, TV murder mystery where Angela Lansbury was a star and she wrote mystery novels, murder mystery novels, and she also solved murders. Always happened to be... (laughs) Where she Uh, was. (laughs) Yeah, people were always dying around her, so she had plenty of mysteries to solve. I'd never heard of the show before, and then Carrie introduced it to me and I was like, hey, that's Mrs. Potts. And... uh, Turns out she had a very successful career before before Beauty and the Beast, and it's awesome that she's in this movie. She's brilliant. She's been in so many things. Like you said, Murder, She Wrote. She's been on Broadway a bunch of times. I mean, she's done MAME. She's famous for that. She's famous for, I mean, she was in Sweeney Todd, which is a terrifying musical, but many people love it. So if you do, good for you. If you don't, don't feel bad because it terrifies me. And then she's just amazing. So with that being said, she, the role of Mrs. Potts was originally offered to Julie Andrews. Did you know that? I knew it from the research. I didn't know before that. Yes. I didn't know before that either. I was like, really? But apparently she wasn't able to accept it. And so then they asked Angela Lansbury and is it pronounced Lansbury or Lansbury? But she was brilliant and she kind of based Mrs. Potts on the cook from upstairs downstairs who was played by Angela Angela Baddeley. And she used her and she couldn't do the exact voice, but she kind of borrowed the attitude and the personality and the character of this cook from that show and in having pride in her job and a sense of what's right, a sense of what's proper. And she's kind of obviously the most, well, we'll find out she's probably the most grounded one out of these three main servants who take care of the castle between Cogsworth, Lumiere, and Mrs. Potts. She's kind of the one who has the most straight head on her shoulder. And <laughs> just, which, <laughs> you know what I which mean? Which is funny because she doesn't have any shoulders. <laughs> In the commentary. <laughs> you had to go there. They definitely brought it up when they were talking about the movie, the the animators and then the, the directors and stuff that did the commentary. They brought it up uh, that she's just basically a head. That's all she is. She's a pot, 
Um, so they had to animate right. her and she's just like this bouncing head that, that jumps around. And so she doesn't have any arms. She doesn't have any appendages to, to help her express herself. So everything's just her facial expression. Right. So, I, you know, that's kind of funny that you mentioned she's got a head on her shoulders because she has no shoulders. She has no shoulders to have the head on. Uh, yeah. But anyway, she's, she's fantastic. And she also said Mrs. Lovett, who was her character in Sweeney Todd, that particular musical that is not my favorite. <laughs> she borrowed some of that character too, which I definitely am a huge fan of Mrs. Potts. So, you know, I guess something good came out of that scary musical. Also, another thing that Sally mentioned that I didn't know before was that Be Our Guest, the song was supposed to go right here in the movie. Yes. So apparently, I think earlier in the podcast, I might have said that they spent four years making this movie. Mm -hmm. And that is incorrect, that they had two years to do it. So everything was pretty rushed to get it done. Um, So that's why earlier this week, we talked about the bats. The bats disappearing happened because that was one of the last scenes they animated and they just didn't have time to do it. So the bats, they ran out of time. They uh, disappeared the bats. And here was where the BRS was originally supposed to be. And they did that scene and then realized that it didn't really fit quite well there. And they wanted Belle and be our guest. So they they redid that and moved it. But this is where it was originally supposed to be in the movie. I love that they moved it because, I mean, Maurice is not who the movie's about and bell is and so it really helps move forward the plot and the character of bell by giving the song to her rather than to maurice so i think that was a good choice on their part definitely and i'm trying to remember exactly where i heard it because i've been delving into a lot of like behind the scenes type things and trying to to get a hold of animators and, and uh learning about them and so i think i might have heard this in a podcast that i started listening to it's called the bancroft brothers animation podcast and the bancroft brothers were our two brothers they both got into animation they both worked at disney early on in their careers and they both worked on beauty and the beast as assistant animators i believe and so they went on to do you know other movies and and characters and stuff but now they they aren't part of disney anymore but they have a podcast that they do that's talking about animation so if you love animation especially Especially if you are going into the animation field, you should check out their podcast. It's just called the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast, where they talk about animation. They talked about their history at Disney a lot. And they have on a lot of the great animators of this generation to talk about the movies they've been on. So I believe one of the episodes I listened to was talking to some of the animators that worked on uh, Beauty and the Beast. And they have a lot of awesome stories. So definitely check out that podcast. Question. Yes. Did, so did they work on Beauty and the Beast? Yes. We should get them on. Yes. <laughs> If only. <laughs> I feel like uh, that that could very possibly happen because they are into podcasting and usually podcasters are pretty right. uh, pretty friendly with other podcasters. So I'm hoping that'll happen and then that could tie us awesome. into getting into some of the other people that worked on it. Something that I thought was an interesting difference between the original French tale of Beauty and the Beast and this version is that Maurice does not, I mean, in the original Maurice, or I guess his name wasn't Maurice in the original. The father of Belle is captured and or the whole situation comes about because he tries to take a rose. He picks a rose for Belle because that's what she had 
the only thing she'd asked him to bring back, and he was a merchant. And he couldn't get anything else for his other children to bring back that they had asked for, but he was like, well, at least I can give this to Belle. He picks it, and then the beast gets all mad, and he's like, I gave you all this hospitality, and you, my roses, and I mean... In this version, it would totally make sense for them to still have that because obviously he would probably be pretty sensitive about his roses because <laughs> he has a magical one that's basically a ticking bomb for him. So I'm not quite sure why they actually changed that. Maybe it was just a time, con- like a time and uh, pace thing where they were like, oh, it doesn't really work with moving the story forward. But he's just like there in this one. So I don't really get why Beast gets... It's not quite as easy to understand why Beast gets so mad that he's there. Yeah, I think because... You know I think I mean? because of the time constraints, they did have to cut back a lot on the the smaller details that might have developed the story a little more fully. But also, I don't think we miss out a ton on, you know, not having right, that right. in here. That, okay, no. There's, there's no Rose that he gets angry over, but he's a beast. He's very territorial because he's very you know, into that animal side of himself beastly? right now. Yeah, he's very beastly. <laughs> beastly. Um, <laughs> Ha-ha. <laughs> so I can see that. He's like, you're in my house. I did not invite you in here. You're sitting in my chair. You're drinking my tea. You're wearing my blanket. So it works for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I just think it was interesting and they probably might have been able to leave it in. But I mean, not that I'm complaining. I just thought it was an interesting change that they made. Yeah, yeah. So I've got, I think, two more points and then I'm about tapped out for this minute. The first one is that Maurice seems to have gotten very used to these enchanted objects being around him and serving him pretty quickly. <laughs> I'm, it did right. not take him long to get comfortable with them and, you know, the talking pot and the coat rack and the clock and, you know, all these people that are serving him. And he's like, you know, he's not worried about it anymore. <laughs> I know. He's just like, okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> oh, this is great service. <laughs> Roll with the punches. <laughs> but we have established he's not exactly the most socially aware person. That's true. So he's, he's a little quirky. Maybe to him, he's like, it's all the same. Or maybe he thinks that it's just like, I mean, at first when he picks up Cogsworth, he thinks that there's some sort of mechanical reason for why they are the way yeah. they are. And they they haven't explained anything to him. So maybe he's just like, whoa. There must be a famous, an amazing inventor here who can do all this stuff. Who knows what he's thinking? <laughs> yeah, he... I wanted to talk about Chip. So do you have... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you have that on your list? It's not on my list, but it'll work. Chip is just so cute. I love that kid's voice. He is voiced by Bradley Pierce, is probably most well-known for being the kid in Jumanji. Mm-hmm. And he's on The Borrowers. He did, like, Flounder in a few episodes of the... Little Mermaid TV show, not the movie, but he's done quite a few things. And I think he still acts and still does things as an adult. So that's pretty cool. But, and he's done like video games, voices for video games, but he just has an amazing voice that's just so clear and youthful and endearing. I really like that they actually used a kid for his voice because there's so many times in animated movies and TV shows that they have kids and they're done by adults. And then I find out and, you know, it's not the end of the world. Okay. It makes more sense to work with an adult, but I'm like, really? You couldn't find a kid to do it. I know. But... Kids are smart. They know how to do a lot of things. Yeah, so I'm glad that they that they got someone that was actually a kid at the time to do Chip. 
I agree. I completely agree. Another thing about Chip that I thought was funny was that so when the door bangs, when the beast thunders in, Maurice is so startled that he basically tosses Chip in the air. And if you like pause it at just the right moment, he's like a foot and a half over where Maurice's like head or hands are or whatever. And I was like, what if that was actually a kid? (laughs) That poor kid. He just gets tossed in the air and like clumsily caught by Maurice. So he doesn't fall on the ground. That's probably how he gets chips. People like toss him around like he's a sack of potatoes. (laughs) Rude. He's a kid. Uh, That's all. That's my rant. (laughs) I I love how... uh... Well, I mean, I guess we're already past this, but I forgot to, to put it in there. I just love the line where, where Cogsworth is on the ground and he says, no tea, no, no tea. tea. <laughs> I know. I forgot about that. He has some of the best lines ever in this movie. Despite the fact that no tea. everything's going out of his control, but he's still trying to, he's still trying <laughs> to control everything. And then they're all so scared of Beast when he comes in, which is understandable because his eyes are scary. I mean, he's scary in this minute. You only see him for a few seconds, but he's pretty scary. But they are, like, trembling, and it shows their relationship to him. Even though they, like, are running the castle and they seem like they're in control, they're really not. They are still servants, and they are still not in their own home. They're in someone else's home. And it's the king, and he's a scary beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I mean, we've seen a few glimpses of the beast at the very beginning, and we saw his silhouette, and so we've seen him a few quick times. But this is when we really start to get to know him a little better and get, you know, a good idea of of his temperament and his situation at the time that the the story is taking place. And he is definitely a beast. When we first see him, he's got his hackles raised. And he's angry. Right. And, you know, he's got his fierce look on. I remember when they tried to do the design of him, they, they went through a lot of iterations that we talked about earlier this week of how he should look. And they came up with a bunch of weird, weird looking beasts. And finally they settled on this one. And I forget all of the different, you know, animals that are mixed in to make beasts the beast, but he's got like a wolf's right. legs and he's got some bison Ew. and, like lion yeah. and he's got just a ton of different animals that make him the beast. And I, I think they did just an awesome job in making a character that can be so ferocious at times. But then we also see a softer side of him come out later on in the movie. Spoilers. <laughs> if you haven't had any spoilers <laughs> yet, just so you know, we just spoiled it. So, this whole podcast is spoilers. <laughs> It's not a spoiler because everybody has already seen this movie. Everyone's watched it. Everyone loves Beauty and the Beast. So yeah, the end of this minute, wrapping things up, Beast storms in, bursts the door open, and there's a huge gust of wind that just comes, blows out all the lights, the candles, the fireplace gets blown out by this gust of wind. No, that's an intense gust of wind. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Maybe it's magical. Well, I was thinking, you know, maybe there's like doors and windows open somewhere. But yeah, it's it's powerful. Um, it definitely sets the mood of everyone is scared at this moment because he is not a happy camper. Nope, not a happy camper. He didn't have his lunch. <laughs> <laughs> He's a little hangry. <laughs> is that what that means? Hungry and angry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Are you being serious right now? I've seen people say that, and I'm like, hangry. I guess they're just saying hungry in a really annoying way. But <laughs> that makes sense, I guess. Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> hangry is when you are so hungry that you can't control yourself, and you're very angry at everyone and everything because you're hungry. And then you eat, and the angriness dissipates. <laughs> Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we educate you about. <laughs> <laughs> Internet words, one minute at a time. Well, we've Googled and we have defined. Yes. So you're welcome. This is the end of the minute. This is the end of the week. We're so glad you stuck here with us. Unfortunately, we have to leave you with a very angry and upset beast at the top of the staircase going down into the room all weekend long. So if that worries you, if that excites you, head over to our social media. We are Beastly Minute on Facebook, on Twitter. You can head over to GrowlerMedia.com to see all of the episodes that we've done so far and leave comments on any of them, especially on this one. Let us know what you think. Send us messages. We love your feedback and we'd love to hear your theories on the movie and how much it has impacted you in your life. And until Monday, when we will come back to talk about Minute 16, no tea. No tea! No tea! Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Our theme music is by Duo Hansen. Something is really different on the growler.